0: Malachi chapter 1, if you'd make your way there. Malachi chapter 1. He begins this way. The burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. Yet you say, in what way have you loved us? And he responds, was not Esau Jacob's brother, says the Lord? Yet Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated, and laid waste his mountains and his heritage from the jackals of the wilderness. Even though Edom has said, we have been impoverished, but we will return and build the desolate places. Well, thus says the Lord of hosts, they may build, but I will throw down. They shall be called the territory of wickedness and the people against whom the Lord will have indignation forever. Your eyes shall see and you shall say, well, the Lord is magnified beyond the border of Israel. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am the father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my reverence, says the Lord of hosts to you priests who despise my name. And yet you say, in what way have we despised your name? You offer defiled food on my altar. But you say, in what way have we defiled you? By saying, the table of the Lord is contemptible. And when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you offer the lame and the sick, is it not evil? Offer it then to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably? Says the Lord of hosts. But now entreat God's favor that he may be gracious to us. But while this is being done by your hands, will he accept you favorably? Says the Lord of hosts. Who is there even among you who would shut the doors so that you would not kindle fire on my altar in vain? I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts. Nor will I accept an offering from your hands. For from the rising of the sun even to its going down, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. In every place, incense shall be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name shall be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it. In that you say, the table of the Lord is defiled, and its fruit, Its food is contemptible. You also say, oh, what a weariness, and you sneer at it, says the Lord of hosts. And you bring stolen, the lame, the sick, thus you bring an offering. Should I accept this from your hand, says the Lord? But cursed be the deceiver who has in his flock a male, and takes a vow, but sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is to be feared among the nations. Well, there's a lot here. God is hopefully going to teach us, uh, even through this word this morning, of his concerns about how he is viewed as we come together as the body of Christ, even this morning. I probably should have preached this before we sang. Because it's all going to relate to how you just worshiped. Uh, the Lord has said, I have loved you. They cynically ask, In what way? Uh, the Lord has said, Where's my honor? Where's my reverence? And uh, again, uh, they come back with, In what way have we despised your name? And now, here in verse seven, he says, You offered defiled food on my altar. And as he brings this up, he reminds us that they come back with this cynical return. In what way have we defiled you? It seems, first of all here, the the question is that they're trying to make a distinction between the altar and the Lord himself. This is kind of like you and I saying, uh, I hate church, but I love God. You can't do that. You can't say I despise the church and have contempt for the church if you uh, don't understand that that is really in reality defiling the Lord because the church is the Lord's bride who the Lord loves. There are churches that I don't like. There are churches that mess up, make mistakes. Uh, Some have patterns that I wouldn't want to be a part of. Uh, but those few ones that we can some, sometimes pour not point out and sometimes they're paraded in front of us, uh, they're not the uh, th- what I think is uh, the true church, obviously. And the true church of Jesus Christ is the bride of Christ, who He loves. And you cannot say, I'll take one but not the other. So God responds in verse 7, the last part of verse 7. And He says... Uh, to them, The table of the Lord is contemptible. Uh, that's what you've said. You've, you've made that statement. The Lord knows our hearts. He knows inside what we're like. So when you leave here today, the Lord knows what you're saying in the car, what you're saying on the way home, what you didn't like about this or that, uh, who you're mad at, at the, in the congregation, what's going on in your life. He knows all of that. Evidently, these folks were saying this, perhaps not uh, out loud or in public, but these priests were feeling this way. And so that's an issue. This uh, uh, statement uh, that they're making here uh, is uh, interesting. Uh, by them saying the table of the Lord is contemptible, we have to sort of just understand what they're actually saying and what they're speaking about. The, the table of, uh, of the Lord is uh, an alternate name for the altar of sacrifice. You can almost interchange the two. I would have you uh, go back to the book of Ezekiel just a few pages back to chapter 40 to just understand some more about this table of the Lord and why it's such an issue with God. Let me uh, just... uh, start at verse 38 of chapter 40 and just read into this a bit. It says, There was a chamber, and this is talking about uh, Ezekiel prophesying about a future temple. And he says, There was a chamber, and in its entrance by the gateposts of the gateway where, where they washed the burnt offering. In the vestibule of the gateway were two tables on this side and two tables on that side, on which to slay the burnt offering, the sin offering, and the trespass offering. Uh, If you read on down, there's actually more tables that they come to. In verse 41, actually there are eight tables on which they slaughtered sacrifices. Uh, If we go into chapter 41, as he continues talking about the the sanctuary and the temple that's coming, he just simply makes a statement here under uh, verse 22. The altar was of wood three cubits high, its length two cubits uh, its corners, its length and its sides were of wood and he said to me, this is the table that is before the Lord. So there were the tables of preparation uh, that took place where the animals were slaughtered and uh, then of course they were, uh, they went through a process uh, where they were, uh, you know, they were cleansed at the beginning, they were blessed, they were slaughtered, they were sanctified, then they were Uh, then obviously taken and brought to the altar and uh, placed there before the Lord. And uh, what is happening here, the Lord is is basically saying to them that to despise and defile my table is to despise and defile me. You can't separate one from the other. And there's a reason for that, which we'll look at this morning. Uh, I want to take from this text in Malachi If you don't mind today, I want to apply this to our lives so it doesn't sound so bizarre. There are certainly some things here we need to hear. There are four ways, there are four ways that you need to be aware of, you and I. Four ways that we need to be aware of that will corrupt our worship. And the first one we've already looked at they despise God's table. They'd come to a place, uh, especially these priests, that they hated the mess. They hated the effort. They hated the inconvenience of it. uh, They uh, hated the whole sacrificial process. uh, So many animals uh, that they had to sacrifice for so many sins. And uh, they just came to a point of despising the whole process. Uh, When I was uh, young, of course, I've told you before that our family used to go to Kentucky Lake... We, my dad wanted to go every year. We went there for several years uh, to fish for uh, striped bass, and uh, you have to go at the right time of year, and uh, it's usually on June, a hot time of June, and especially into July. And these uh, bass would actually uh, uh, swim in big schools because they're. Uh, uh, it's just at the right time of the year. They go in these huge schools, and they actually come to the surface of the water, and they thrash the water. And you have to have binoculars and a speedboat, and you've got to see where they are. Then you've got to race ahead of what direction they're going, wait for them to come to you, and then you start casting in and pulling in fish. Uh, we, uh, we pulled about 30 or 40 fish in on the one day, the three of us, my, my brother, my dad, and I. And uh, that's exciting. So when you, we came back to dock the boat, and, and uh, there's people on the boat saying, how'd you do? And we're telling them, we, fantastic. And I'm all excited because it's the first time I've caught so many fish in my life, and I'm just going crazy. And I'm going to jump out of the boat, and I'm going to run up to the cottage and tell everybody at the cottage. And my dad stops me halfway, get back here. And I'm like, why? He goes, because when you catch fish, you have to clean them. <clears throat> Some of you know that. And so, you know, the process of taking the fish, uh, you have to scale the fish, get the scales off, then you kind of cut the head off, and then you got to, you know, do the fillet thing, and so you got to get that, get the bones out. And so uh, we're doing all that, and it's messy. Uh, as a little kid who's not done that before, this is like gross, you know. <clears throat> and I'm, you know, pulling out entrails and stuff, and like, what do I do with this? You know, throw in the water, so we... So, you do all that, it's just a bloody mess. You get that done, and when you're done, it tastes fantastic, and we're all glad that we did it. But obviously, you have to do that. Well, there's this fellow named Leo La- uh, Theo Laish. He uh, is quoted by James Montgomery Boyce, and he makes a, a sort of a comment about how he felt the priests were thinking at this time. And here's what he says. What a weariness to stand all day long and be ready whenever someone feels like bringing his sacrifice to slay it and skin it and gut it and cut it up. A filthy, bloody job. And what do we get out of it? A few pieces of tough meat. He goes on. I I cut it off there. The whole system was broken down at the point that Malachi is now uh, writing this statement from God. People were bringing their worst uh, animals, and and no one cared. Uh, The priests were not concerned with God's people anymore in terms of their own uh, position before God. Uh, They had lost any sense of blessing that should have come from this process of making available to a sinner a way for cleansing and for forgiveness. These priests who were assigned to this task of being the ones between God and the people. And so they would provide this this wonderful access. They had missed completely the beauty and blessing of God's table. It had become to them something that was gross. It was a wretched place full of stench and filth of slaughtered animals. Rather than really a place for repentance. Repentance a place that was to reestablish a a relationship with God, a place where you could express your love and your gratitude for His provision for your sin, a place where you would honor Him uh, for His goodness and glory. See, dealing with sin is a messy job. Uh, If you've sinned, the only thing that can pay for sin is blood, a sacrifice of blood. This goes all the way back to uh, the very Garden of Eden when this this took place. Sin is a fleshly thing. Sin is the result of us really standing against uh, the holiness of God. Sin is that which takes over our life and ruins and devastates our life before Him because we've tarnished and contaminated ourselves in His presence. Sin can only be forgiven by a sacrifice. You and I know that. We look back on that. We understand that. But you can imagine that back at that time, those who uh, came to this point where they had to bring an offering for sin and they came in good faith and they brought an animal. But what's happened is that they didn't care what kind of animal they brought because the priest had an attitude about this that really we don't care what you bring. And that became a problem. The second thing that can ruin your worship, well, let me just say this before I do that. We're talking about, and I want to mention this, that the Lord's new covenant table, the, what we come to when we have communion, is a place for which you and I are invited to come and commemorate Christ's ultimate sacrifice on our behalf. And we understand that his sacrifice was horrible, but it was also wonderful. Our desire should be to welcome even others into Christ's invitation because he wants us to recognize and receive the way that he's provided through forgiveness. uh, Through the, the gateway, if you will, of Jesus Christ, who offers us forgiveness and eternal peace. And so that's what our table represents today, because Jesus Christ did what they did back in the Old Testament as they slaughtered animals for sacrifice and they had a certain uh, standard for that, which we'll look at, but Jesus Christ came and he gave his life to offer himself in place of all that system. Believers should love the table of the Lord. Believers should love uh, what it represents to us because it represents forgiveness and fellowship by His grace. And so we should love the table of the Lord. And I think that those who, who originally, when the system was working right, would have come with a, a, a blessing that God, by His grace, would even offer us away. And so they would bring their animals and bring their best to give to God because they recognized God was offering them forgiveness through their repentance and this sacrifice. And priests at one time would have known this is... This is an amazing thing God's doing for all of us, and so they would willingly do this. But they've lost all of that. It's contemptible. The second thing that we can do to really affect worship is they offered blind and lame and sick animals. Because they despised the sacrifices and could care less, they lost any love and gratitude to the Lord for what He's done for them. And so uh, the, it became a sacrifice of, of convenience, really, is what's happened here. Uh, so they sort of developed a warped logic about this. Well, why should we slaughter perfectly good, uh, perfectly good animals? And instead, we'll use this opportunity to get rid of the animals that are sick. <laughs> So back in Leviticus 22 and verse 20, the law of God says it must be uh, uh, whatever has a defect you shall not offer. In verse 21, it says it must be perfect to be accepted. That was a standard. So it's an evil thing to offer God that which is not worth much. So what does he say in Malachi? He says, offer it to your governor. Uh, would he ex- be pleased with you? would he accept you favorably? Can you imagine sitting down with the governor of of Ohio having a big steak dinner and you were the supplier <laughs> and you sat down next to him because it was your beef, so you, you got a seat in there and then yeah, you know what a great opportunity to get rid of that cow. <laughs> That thing thing was so emaciated. It just wasn't worth feeding it anymore. We just had to slaughter it. So uh, enjoy your steak. (laughs) It's it's not very thick. Uh, It's kind of lean. It was kind of sick animal. But but you know what? Hey, uh, it was was great to have this opportunity to share my beef with you, uh, Governor. Enjoy. No, that would be absurd, and that's what God is saying. It's absolutely absurd to think that someone would enjoy something like that. But you notice here's this tag again when the Lord says this, uh, the last part of verse 8, Would he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts. Remember what we said? 21 times, at least in this little book, God calls himself the Lord of hosts to remind God's people of who he is. Uh, uh, the Lord God Almighty, that phrase means it's, it's something that uh, uh, gives the, the sense of the majesty and the greatness and the glory of God. And they have forgotten that that's what this is all about. And so uh, as he uses that phrase again and again and again, it's, that's the core issue in this whole text of Malachi. They have forgotten who God is. They've lost the value of who God is. The Lord is much higher in authority and notoriety than the governor or a president or an emperor. It doesn't make any difference. And he's not uh, receiving what he's due in the praise and admiration of who he is and the adulation of who he is by by the offerings that are being brought. They're being it's an insulting offering that's being brought. They'd lost the value and worth of God's grace toward them. This morning I want to just say to you that worship is really empty if we don't come to worship before him with a high sense of who he is in my life right now as I enter worship. This God who has extended to me grace Through his mercy, it's something that I don't I don't deserve at all. And yet he does this. And time and time again, we come to him to worship. And sometimes I think we come and we just sort of rush into worship and lose track of what should be in our thoughts and minds about our relationship with him, our understanding of who he is and holding him in the highest esteem. And that's an issue for us. There's two observations I'd make here. And the first one is this. This is why the Lord Jesus is the only qualified sacrifice for sin. He was born apart from the curse. He was able to be both uh, fully uh, God and fully man. It became a perfect uh, living being who was spotless uh, in his life because he was sinless who uh, then could perform God's requirement to lift the penalty for the curse of sin on our lives. And so under the old covenant, uh, you know that he demanded men to bring their best. Uh, that was the whole thing because God is holy. And so they would bring their best to be sacrificed in order to uh, uh, to have God you know, see their, their intention of their sacrifice and offer them forgiveness. But That perfect sacrifice, the best you could give, still did not satisfy God's justice. It was simply a temporary thing. It was that which was pointing to what would one day be the ultimate sacrifice, which is Jesus Christ. If you don't understand these, let me take you back to Hebrews. I'm going to read this to you, if you don't mind. Hebrews uh, chapter 10. I just want to read a couple of verses to you. And if you're new to Christianity, this may help make some sense. It's talking about the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, and then it's talking about the New Testament, our New Covenant in Christ. He begins by saying in verse 1, "...for the law, having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never, with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually, year by year, make those who approach perfect." For then would they not have caused a uh, cease to be offered for the worshipers once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, down in verse 11. and every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, talking about Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. From that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool, for by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. We went from Old Testament to New Testament in that text. And this crowd here has completely lost any impact of what it means to come before God. He's, he's not recognized for who he is anymore. They're, they're just going through routines. They're trying to sort of just uh, make an appeasement to God, even though they really don't have respect for him. And here I want to just say to us, do not seek to worship the Lord if this is not your heart's intent to come before him and recognize who he is. You see, Jesus Christ offered that sacrifice for you and I, and as He offered that sacrifice for us, uh, we receive that sacrifice by faith. And it should stir within our hearts a continual sense, I want to offer Him my best. I want to offer Him my all. I want to offer Him my very being for who He is. When uh, When the guys read Scripture this morning from Hebrews 12... And it talks about being a living sacrifice. We're to bring him a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. It's the the basic thing that we should do because we recognize how much he loves us. The third thing that we see in this text that can really affect worship is they sought favor while resentful of the sacrifices. Let me read verses 9 and 10 again back in Malachi. But now entreat God's favor that He may be gracious to us. While this is being done by your hands, will He accept you favorably? These folks are asking God for favors. They're asking God for this and that, perhaps for forgiveness, but I'm thinking they're asking for other things, for physical things and so on, for blessing. He says that He may be gracious to us. But while you're doing that, will He accept... uh, Uh, while this is being done by your hands, will they accept you favorably after bringing such a lousy offering is what they're saying? Says the Lord of hosts, again this emphasis. So God is looking for someone. In verse 10, He's looking for someone out of this crowd to just say, why are we bothering having this time of sacrifice. Well, Why do we bother with this? Let's just don't even open the doors. I mean, you know, we know we're not being sincere. I mean, that's what God is sort of inferring in verse 10. Who is there even among you who would shut the doors so that you would not kindle fire on my altar in vain? And then, of course, God says, I I have no pleasure in you. It's sort of like the Lord's just saying, you know, these guys are seeking my favor, they have no integrity. They, they have no repentance, no remorse. Why don't they just, somebody in their crowd, recognize how ridiculous this is and just shut it down? It'd be like us saying, if, if we're not going to preach Christ here, if we're not going to care about whether people come to Christ or not, if we're not going to offer the gospel of Jesus Christ to anyone in our church. if We're just going to go through the motions of saying nice platitudes and nice nice little phrases that make you feel better, that make you walk out lighter than air because we told you how lovely you are, how nice you are, and how, how wonderful God is, and everybody's going to be happy. And if we send you out the door with that kind of thing week after week after week, God's saying, somebody in that crowd, wake up and shut the doors. Lock the church up because you're wasting your time. That's how far away they have fallen since Nehemiah's leadership. It's impossible for us uh, to worship the Lord today if we don't have a heart of repentance. If you're not broken, for your sins, how can you worship him? If somehow we are not humble before him and realize that it's only because of his grace that we're even here today, if if that's not in your heart, how can you worship him? If you're not filled with thankfulness for what he's done for you, how can you worship him? there's a challenge in that because any of us can come to church on any given Sunday having all kinds of baggage and things going on. Sometimes things go wrong in our life. Sometimes, you know, it's just a, it can be a word or it can be a look or it can be an attitude in our home or a family or in the car. Uh, anything can spark a thing where we just get our mind on that and away from why we're even coming to church. But it's impossible then to step into worship and sing praises to the Lord and have it mean anything to God if we haven't dealt with our heart before that takes place. His sacrifice is our life. What Jesus Christ has done for us is our life. They want God to do things for them, but they don't want the sacrifice that goes with it. I want God to do things in my life, but I absolutely know I don't deserve it. And I, I want to come before him and I want to recognize that what he's done for me is so absolutely incredible. I don't deserve any of that. But because of that, I come to him with a a heart that loves him and wants to please him. and wants to correct things in my life so that I can worship him with a sense of freedom. I think Joel uh, said it and I think we heard it. But Galatians 220 comes to my mind for I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live yet not I, but Christ who lives in me and this life that I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And that should be the cry of our heart as we come even to worship. The fourth thing is this. They disrespected God. Look at verse 11. They disrespected him. Let me read into it. It says, For from the rising of the sun, even to its going down, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. In every place, incense shall be offered to my name, and a pure offering for my name shall be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. They had disrespected his name because, verse 12, after he says all that, but you profane it, he tells them, you profane it, my name's going to be great everywhere else, but here. Can you imagine that? They disrespected God that much. He's talking about his name being great among the Gentiles. Uh, he's talking about incense would be offered and there'd be a pure offering. Uh, his name will be great. Uh, and uh, saying all of that, he's also saying that uh, well, I'll, I'll read it to you. I want to add to this. Uh, don't turn. I'm just going to add this comment. It comes out of Isaiah 56 verses six and seven, where God speaking through Isaiah is talking to foreigners that those who are Gentile foreigners. And he, here's what God says to them. You join themselves to the Lord. Uh, who join themselves to the Lord to serve Him and to love the name of the Lord, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and holds fast my covenant, their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. I mean, God's just telling us, and He's telling us and telling us that He's going to offer uh, Himself in a way that the Gentiles will understand who He is, and the Gentiles will want Him. You and I are sitting here today because we've been uh, revealed to that. We have recognized that He's offered this for us as well. And we're included in that plan. But again, these Jewish believers in verse 12, these are priests who are supposed to lead people to the Lord, but you profane it. You profane my name. I will share this with you. It's worth doing. It's in Romans 2. We think about profaning his name in Romans 2. Paul writes to The church, and he says this to us. It's the text where he's saying, you know, in verse seventeen. Indeed, you are called a Jew, and rest and rest on the law, and you make your boast in God, and you know His will, and and you approach things that are excellent. You've been instructed out of being instructed out of the law, and you are confident that you are yourself are a guide to the blind. And a light to those who are in darkness. In other words, you you Jewish people have the believe you have the truth, and you believe you're leading people into truth. But look at verse 21. You therefore who teach another, do you not teach yourself? Uh, You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? You who say, do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? And here it is. For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. It is written. These priests were uh, supposed to be the ones who knew all about God, who had the answers for people who were there to represent God. As people brought their offerings, these priests would take those offerings, should have demanded, uh, did you bring your best animal? Is that the best you've got? Uh, They would have done that, rinsed that animal off. That priest would have solemnly then taken that animal and sacrificed that animal before God on your behalf and called on God to pour his blessing of forgiveness upon you. That's what should have been happening. But the way evidently these folks were living and the things that they were saying, the things that they were doing was causing God to analyze them and and come up with this understanding that uh, you are the ones who are profaning uh, my table and my offering and my name. In that you say, and so he goes through now and he identifies the areas where they have profaned the Lord. He says, in that you say, the table of the Lord is defiled. The first thing we see here is that they hated the table. Then he says, and its fruit and its food is contemptible. They hated the food on the table. Uh, Then he says, you also say, oh, what a weariness. And you sneer at it. They hated the work of the table. And they hated the, the meaning behind the table. So what did they do? They brought an inferior offering. They brought a sham of an offering. They brought the cheapest things they could bring. In verse 14, uh, he says, uh, uh, actually, let me back up just a little bit there. Verse 13 is long. Let me hit this. Uh, And you bring the stolen, the lame, the sick. Thus you bring an offering. You bring an offering, he's saying. Should I accept this from your hand, says the Lord? But cursed be the deceiver who has in his flock a male... And then takes a vow. So they made a vow. But he goes on and says, you make a vow. But sacrifices to the Lord, what is blemished? You make a vow. Okay, you've gone through the motions. You've made a vow. You made some kind of promise to me. But you brought something that's absolutely worthless in your own mind. Something to get you by. Something that you think could buy me off. I, I, I want to just spend a, a second here to remind us, that, and I don't have anybody specific in mind, okay, so don't get panicky. But sometimes I think there are people who come to church and you have baggage in your life. You have things in your life that are not honoring to God. You have, you have sin in your life that's just continuing in your life. And your life's really, as I hear often said, is a hot mess in many different ways. And you come to the church because maybe it's an expectation. Maybe you're expected to be here. Someone else is bringing you or you just feel like I need to be here, need to show up. Whatever your motives are for being here. But you come here and you maybe you sing or you don't sing. Maybe you enter into worship or you don't. I, I, I don't know. But you come here and you kind of think that maybe just by coming here, this will sort of rub off on me and I'll be a better person as I leave. And while going through the motions of that, you have no intention of repenting for the sin that you know is in your life. You have no real desire to to lower yourself, to let anyone see that there are flaws and issues. I'm going to say this, because most of us as Christians, most of us can tell when someone's not right with God. You can just tell. It's not their conversation, it's their mannerisms. Uh, There's just a way that you kind of can read into that. You might not know what the issues are, but you know something's there that shouldn't be. But when you come to church with a I guess a a desire you want, but you really don't care about expressing to God or worshiping God or saying the name of the Lord. Uh, You watch other people go through worship and you maybe you're cynical about that and you're watching this or that. And you're maybe you're saying the people with you, you don't think they're genuine. I don't know who knows what's going on in your mind. But you're offering. You're offering nothing to God. And you are, in a sense, profaning his name because you're playing the game. Uh, it was years ago. I, I can't remember the the uh, worldly title, but there was a deacon. This was out in the out west. I forget his name, but he became a known as a mass murderer. I just remember uh, that particular fellow who was a, a deacon in his church, and the people in the church were all talking about how wonderful a guy he is. Yeah, he's a great guy. and I, I can't imagine that he would be this ugly monster that we, we've realized was a, a mass murderer. And, you know, you, you just see stuff like that, and you say to yourself, how can somebody sit as a deacon in a, in a board meeting with pastor and fellow deacons and pull it off That he comes across spiritual, comes across godly. How how do you pull that off when it's not in your heart? And so uh, the Lord looks in our hearts and he knows us. And he's basically saying to these folks, I'm going to be... Uh, well-known and loved and served, and I'm going to receive that offering from Gentiles, people that you think are, are worthless. Uh, I'm going to allow them to worship me and follow me and and bless them, but you're someone who's just profaning my name and you're not going to get away with it. And so he says, I see all these things. You hate this. You hate that. You can't stand the table. You can't stand the food. You can't stand the process. It's too much work. It's weary. You sneer at it. Uh, All of these things God is saying, I know. Uh, We've got to be very careful. God knows who we are and what we're doing. He knows all about that. So it says in the text here, says the Lord of hosts, and you'll bring a stolen sick and so on and so on. So we get to verse 14 when he says, I am a great king. He says to them, for I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts. You think I'm worthless? I, I'm a great king. Can you imagine, uh, God? Last week we said, you know, why does the Lord have to bother to ask people to honor Him? That, that seems so unbelievable. But here's God saying to these folks, "I'm a great king." Can you imagine God having to say that? I am a great king. You know, it's it's almost as like though God is just uh, starving for them to understand who He is, so He can so He can bless them. But no, they are not seeing it. I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is to be feared among the nations. The Lord of hosts should not need to declare that he is a great king. I've been going through an exercise uh, for myself in the last while, just... uh, Disciplining myself, so when I get up in the morning, the first thing that I want to come out of my lips is not "Oh, my back," or whatever you know, old folks can say when they get out of bed in the morning. I want to get out of bed and say, "Lord, I love you. Thank you for what you've done in my life, Lord. I, I just want, to, if I can, just acknowledge Him in some way to show that He's first in my heart and in my mind and in my thoughts." And I can get up and say, I'm breathing today. You see, I learned three years ago that you might not wake up. I learned that lesson the hard way. You might not have tomorrow to fix things. You may not be able to somehow, uh, I'm going to put off, eventually I'm going to deal with this. Eventually I'm going to get things right with God. Eventually I'm going to, you know, Confess what I need to confess to that person. Eventually, and we go through our life doing that, and Satan knows that eventuallys never happen. And so here's God closing them out from eventuallys. Well, maybe eventually we'll, 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 we'll get around to it, but right now we're not happy. Uh, uh, Lord, maybe if you make some adjustments, we'll be happier. But th- no, th- that's not going to happen. And God is basically telling them that's not going to take place. We'll see as this text moves on that he's going to remind them that he's soon coming and this is going to be over what they're dealing with, how they live. So let me just say how we honor him. We honor him in a way that no one else is ever honored. I don't know how you honor uh, today. The Super Bowl takes place tonight and you may give honor to... Wow, you know, I, I was listening to uh, yesterday just a chat about the two quarterbacks and blah, blah, blah. I want to watch the game. I'm going to be in the car all day, so I'm going to hope I can hear it. Uh, I, I want to watch the game. I have a, I have a, I've invested a bit of my time in this. I, I'm excited about one of the teams. I won't tell you who. <laughs> but it's exciting. But I tell you that if somehow he is magnified and praised whichever quarterback wins the game, If that's really what's first in my thoughts, what a shame. Jesus Christ is to be honored unlike anyone else. Blessing, honor, glory, and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb. He is to be honored in ways that no one else can even fathom being honored. And I don't know if that's happening today in the church. And I'm not saying we're not. I'm saying that many churches are not honoring Christ the way they should. So again, I'll ask, as I asked last week, are you yourself uh, allowing Jesus Christ in your life to receive his due honor and praise from your lips, from your heart? Is he first in your heart? Is he receiving an expression of of devotion and gratitude from your lips each day. Is he the one to whom you will be a living sacrifice? Because he's worth it. Holy. And acceptable to him. Which is our reasonable service. Malachi, who's writing on behalf of God, is saying all of this i'm sure that as even malachi the prophet is writing what god's saying to him can you imagine how convicted malachi was in writing this when god has to say through the prophet to god's people that it's the lord of hosts saying these things it took the pressure off malachi he's just speaking what god's saying But can you imagine him hearing this from God and in his own mind, in his own heart, in his own soul, as as one who is being obedient to God, that even him would be under the deepest conviction. That God would speak through me and remind me all these times over again, it's the Lord of hosts, the Lord of hosts speaking these things. And he wants so much to communicate to you. Do you understand who he is in this modern world that's just racing by as time goes by? as Everyone's so distracted by everything in the universe. And here's the God of the universe saying, I'm the Lord of hosts. I'm a great king. Do you not see this? Do you not understand this? Do you respond to me because you recognize this? Or are you ignoring me or not lifting me up the way you should because you're not seeing this? And I'm just calling you today that you would just have a, a renewed sense of Him in your life. He is Savior, Lord, but He's also King. And He's the majesty on high. Something we don't relate to very well as Americans. But He's in charge of your life. But He loves you so much, He doesn't steer your life moment by moment. He leads you. He wants you to follow Him. But He will not force the way on you. What kind of leader is that? That's an amazing leader. And I pray that you'll love him and give your life to him and follow him. Lord, as we uh, come to a close in our service today, I ask for your power and blessing over those who have perhaps allowed their eyes to slip away from who you are. So much can distract us and so much can replace our thoughts and our mind with worldly things that crowd out. The truth of who we should understand you to be. Lord, as Americans, we live in a system where we don't like anyone telling us what to do or how to act or how to behave or what to think. We don't understand sometimes how to relate to the God of the universe, the creator of all things, the king on high, who who deserves and expects us to yield our lives to you. Not that you'll steer us like a puppet going down the road, but that you would want to invest yourself in us and reveal yourself and bless us and encourage us and lead us to something better. And we just often fight that. We don't want to give up our own controls. But you call us to surrender and submit to you and trust you. <clears throat> when I asked today, someone who needs to do this would hear this today and call on you and trust you because you have the power to affect our lives in such a way that we'll receive the greatest blessing we could ever imagine by trusting you and giving our lives to you. Encourage believers today to see you and to magnify you in such a way that you are truly honored. May our lives live out what we are saying in our hearts and minds. Lord, may the world not be turned away or turned off about you because they see us being hypocritical and inconsistent. So help us to be faithful in the day ahead. Help us to walk with you in such a way that if the world's going to be turned off, it's because they see the sacrifice and the commitment. They see the love that you have in our life, and that we are so enraptured by you that nothing can change that. I ask your blessing on our lives now and ask your blessing on this word and ask for your presence to go with us as we leave. Praying this in Christ's name, amen.